Mark 1 and 13. This is what the Bible says, if you could throw it on the screen. It's an interesting, interesting verse. I preached from it last week, and this is, this is what you could call uh, part two of last week. But trust me, you didn't have to be here last week to, to jump in, so don't, don't worry. The Bible says of Jesus that he was there in the wilderness. And that's where we, we honed in last week. We talked about the wilderness for 40 days, tempted of Satan. And then the Bible says, but watch this, not only was Satan in the wilderness, but this is really interesting. And he was with the wild beasts. Wow. There were actually wild beasts. I was tempted, I'm not going to call it this, but I was tempted today to title this message, Where the Wild Things Are. Because that's where Jesus was. But my wife did not like that title. I could tell by her face. Um, But he was with the wild beasts. And sometimes we're fighting Satan. But sometimes we're just fighting the wild beasts. They're just part of the wilderness. They're part of living. They're part of life. You you ever been tempted or been, I won't say it like this. Maybe I will say it like this. Been to one of those churches or around one of those people that they can't even get a flat tire or a a toothache without it being the devil. I'm telling the devil. They're over there eating candy. The devil gave me this cavity. It's like, no, man, that's the sugar that gave you that cavity. So, so sometimes we're fighting the devil. And we, we know that's true. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But a lot of times we are facing what is common to man. If you live in the wilderness, if you live in the world, guess what else is in the world? Some wild beasts. There's some things that you and I just have to face. It's just part of life. And I want to talk about that. And, and the title today is this, Kill the Lion. Kill the Lion. Would you put your Bibles down or close your phones and would you just pray with me right now? God, we love you. We thank you for what we feel in this place. Lord, every guest, every member alike that has made Stello Church this, this environment that we're in today, this beautiful atmosphere of worship, I thank you for them. God, we know that you have something to say to each and every one of us. God, help me, Lord, to be anointed to preach it, but also help our church to be anointed to hear it. God, help us to leave this place changed in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Uh, last week, we talked about the wilderness and the necessity of a wilderness. In fact, I will tell you that uh, there's been only a few sermons where I got as much feedback Positive feedback, let's make sure I say positive there, positive feedback, thank you Jesus, on a sermon as I did uh, last week's, not necessarily because of the eloquence of speech or my ability to deliver it, but I think the subject matter struck a nerve because we talked about being in the wilderness and how Christ had to face a wilderness before he emerged from that and was able to really launch into his ministry. We saw that uh, not only in the life of Christ, but we see that typified over and again in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And so how many knows you just got to go through a wilderness? It's a part of life. Won't you wave at me if you believe it? I know some of you are like, is this volunteering for a wilderness? Because if it is, I don't want to raise my hand. No, no. But it is a part of life. We have to go through a wilderness. And to recap last week, remember that when you're in the wilderness, the devil's going to be there. The devil is a real threat in your life. Listen, as much as I don't blame the devil for everything, I do believe that there is an enemy. There is a, a, a wild enemy. And, and, and the Bible describes him as a lion. 
who's seeking whom he may devour. In fact, whenever Jesus was in that wilderness, he was tempted in three regards. The first was that Jesus would turn stones into bread. Anybody remember that? And I don't know about you, but a lot of times I don't eat until after Stello Church. So it's 5 or 6 p.m. on a Sunday before I actually have a meal. And if you could give me the ability to turn stones into bread, there are times where as long as it was either Olive Garden breadsticks, come on somebody, or some red lobster cheddar biscuits. Mm. We're not going to take a vote tonight, but I did feel the Holy Ghost on both of those. There was a, a strong witness. I would be tempted to, to, to turn stones into bread if it was that kind of bread. But really, when, when Christ was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, that first temptation of stones into bread was really the enemy tempting Jesus to believe this. That Christ, or the same temptation that you and I face, is this. That we are no more than what we can produce. You're no more than your gift. You're no more than your production. That is a lie from the enemy. The second temptation uh, that we understand is that, uh, what, did, what did the devil tell Jesus? He said, well, take yourself up to the highest point of the temple. Throw yourself off so that others can see you. So that others may watch as angels catch you. That temptation that the devil tried to uh, tempt Christ with was simply that you are no more than what people think of you. The devil will try to get you to believe that. That you're no more than what you can produce and you're no more than what people think of you. Both of those are lies. And recapping last week at where we ended, the third lie that the enemy will throw at you is simply that you are no more than your possessions because the enemy tempted Jesus to take all the kingdoms of the world and all the power that came with it. And oftentimes we are tempted in this day and hour by the enemy to believe that we are no more than the bottom line of our bank account. We are no more than the car that we drove here today. But how many knows that all of those are lies from the enemy who is seeking whom he may devour. And I'm more than what I produce. I'm more than what, than what people think of me. And I'm more than what I have in my bank account. I am a child of the Most High. I'm a son or a daughter of the one who owns it all anyway. And so yes, the enemy is going to throw the kitchen sink, so to speak. He'll throw everything he's got at you. But I will tell you that there's more than just the wild lion, that old scoundrel, the devil. But if you're going to be in a wilderness, you're also going to be where the wild things are. There's some things that you're going to have to face that really you can't blame the devil for. It's just a part of your nature and my nature. It's a part of the flesh that we live in. The Bible says that we I've been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Anybody filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost? Amen. That's a, good, that's a good time to say amen right there. Yes, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. Here's the problem. We have this treasure in an earthen vessel. So yeah, I've got the Holy Ghost, but guess what? The container is still flesh. The container is still broken flesh. And there are days where, man, I feel like the Holy Ghost is all I can feel. I mean, I feel the, you get me at Stello Church? About 2.45, all I can feel is the Holy Ghost. The earthen vessel, I'm that little, this, this flesh, I don't, even, I don't even feel it anymore. You get me about Monday at 2.45. I feel the earthen vessel. And I'm just praying, Lord, let some Holy Ghost just slosh around in this earthen vessel. Because I feel very fleshly right now. And what happens is we all have to come to this realization that we are flesh and bones. We are 
facing temptations and struggles that are common to man. And I will tell you today that we often, if we're not careful, overlook our commonality, our flesh. It's easy to forget that we all face the same temptations and the same struggles. And I know there's some really spiritual people in here today that heard that title, Kill the Lion. And you were getting your handkerchief out and you were like, it's game time, pastor's about to preach you know, because anytime it's negative, you know it's good. If there's kill or death or destruction, somebody's about to preach, right? Well, guess what? I'm, I'm going to be a lot more practical today than just stomping on the devil, which, by the way, I love to stomp on the devil. In fact, it's one of the only times that we condone violence in the kingdom of God. In fact, we sing about it. We, uh, if, if you're really frustrated, there's some songs we talk about stomping on the devil's head. That can be a great, great outlet for those of you that are facing anger. We stomp on his head. We can spit in his face. Honestly, you can do just about anything you want to the devil. Other things that are off limits, not to the devil. You spread embarrassing photos of him if you want to. Whatever it is. Whatever you want to do. But guess what? The devil probably isn't your main problem today. Yeah, he's a problem. He's an issue. But can I tell you, let me just say it like this. Maybe your most pertinent problem, your most common issue is not the devil, but it is the earthen vessel, the flesh. It's the wild beasts and not Satan himself. It looks something like this. First John in 2.16, John begins to describe the worldly system or what we could use as a metaphor for the wilderness today. And he says, here's the three things that you're going to face. First John 2 and 16. For everything, somebody say, in the world. world. Notice that. In the world. He doesn't even mention Satan. He doesn't mention the devil. He's not saying stomp on the devil's head. He's not seeing it. No. He says everything in the world. Here's what you're facing. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but where does it come from? Watch. From the, from the world. Do you know that the greatest issues that you and I are facing today are not the ones where the devil is manifesting himself? Honestly, that would make it easier on us. Because it's easy to recognize an angry devil, an ugly devil. Now, I'm not saying I've never faced it. I've seen it. But can I just tell you, the church that we have here we're not coming in Sunday, Sunday by Sunday and having demon expulsions. We're not having exorcisms of devils that have taken over people's that's not what our, That's not what we're facing. You want to know what this church is facing, and, and I think we're probably pretty common in this, is we just have to make sure people aren't backbiting. Hold on, is there somewhere to hide up here? Now, see, at our church, now this may not be your church, maybe every week you're fighting straight up devil, you're getting the sword of the spirit out, and you're like, let's go devil. No, no, I'm sorry, here at Stello Church, we have to be careful because sometimes people get caught up on material possessions and how much money they have, and some pride can set in. You see, here at our church, what we're dealing with, leave that scripture up for just a second, if you would, is we're dealing with the lust of the flesh. We're dealing... With the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Let me just give you a quick second and synopsis of what these wild beasts, so to speak, that we face look like. I know everybody in the American context think 
It's the lust of the flesh, or the word lust is always uh, equivocated to sexual sin. Well, it, it, that's a part of this, a portion of this, and it certainly is a very pertinent battle that people face. But it's only a part of these things that John mentions when he talks about all of these worldly things that we have to fight in our flesh. Because the lust of the flesh could be described as any temptation that you and I face that comes from our nature itself. Imagine yourself, your nature, unchecked by the Spirit of God. That's the lust of the flesh. If you had no conviction and you did exactly what you wanted to do or whatever your flesh told you to do, that'd be a pretty scary world, wouldn't, wouldn't it be? It certainly would not be a good church. Amen, somebody? The lust of the eye is anything that you see and want to pursue that is out of the will of God. Now, both of these could include some sort of sexual sin. The lust of the flesh, we understand that there is a nature within us that... Paul even says, can be contorted and twisted and perverted so that we do things that are of a sexual sin that are even against our nature itself. But what about David? And we're going to talk about him here in a moment. Looking over the banister of his rooftop kingdom house there and seeing with his eyes Bathsheba. Anybody remember that story? The lust of the eye is what brought forth the sin. There was no devil Oh man, I know, I know, I know. All of us that sin and that, that anybody that's ever fallen into sin, it is one of the best cop-outs to blame the devil. I'll tell you what, I was just there and something entered into that room. And I could not, by the time it was said, I couldn't believe I was watching what I was watching. <laughs> hey, the devil will give credit, he'll, or he'll take the credit if you'll give him the credit. But don't, don't blame the devil for that. You know what Paul said? Make not provision for the flesh. Make not provision for the flesh. You set yourself up for that failure because you should have known and I should have known, whatever the sin might have been, that there was a propensity in me to desire something that was outside of the will of God. So why was I up that late? Why was I by myself? Why wasn't there accountability in my life? Why was there so much provision made for the flesh? Because if you make provision for the flesh, if you give it an inch, how many's lived long enough to, to testify? It will absolutely take a mile every single time. You see, it's not the devil telling me all those three temptations that I mentioned at the very beginning. No, this one's on me. This one lives in my flesh and in my brokenness. And so if I'm going to live a holy life, if I'm going to avoid these three things, then I've got to get real and say, hey, I live in the wilderness. I'm in the world. And you know what the world does? Everything in the world produces these things. So if I'm going to be a holy person, if I'm going to be a Christian that lives like a Christian, then I've got to get real with myself and say, hey, I cannot make provision for these things because they live in me. But can I just tell somebody today that you can have victory over these things if you get real and if you get honest because there is a spirit that lives on the inside of us. It is the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost will empower you to live a life of purity and righteousness. And then there's that pride of life. That pride of life. That pride of life gets us, man. You know that feeling. When you feel prideful or it's self-sufficiency. 
Yes, they all work in tandem. You see something, you want it, and then that thing that you go and get, whether it's a bigger paycheck or a nicer car. And listen, material possessions aren't the problem. Money's not the issue. It's the love of money. Amen, somebody? I thank God for a little bit of money. I'm praying God gives some of y'all a little bit of money. Amen. We need a little bit of money right here. I'll tell you one thing. As soon as we build our own building or buy our own place, I'm going straight to the thermostat, and I'm cutting it down to like 51. Y'all felt that. I got it. So that's the, that's the, I don't know if that's the lust of the flesh or what it is, but we're going to cave into that wild beast. Amen. All of these things, they live on the inside of us because we're broken. But aren't you thankful that the Spirit of God is what causes us to have victory? But can I just tell you, you cannot ask the Spirit of God to override a life that is not set up for success. Paul said it in 1 Corinthians, if you have it, you can throw it up there, that when we fight this battle against the flesh, how do we do it? We take captive every single thought. We've got to be a part of the battle. The Spirit of God does not take over you like some sort and, and remove your free will choice like some sort of possessed person. No, I'm thankful for the Holy Ghost, but the Bible says I have to yield my members. i got to yield my members to the Spirit of God that lives on the inside of me. And I know it's so easy to blame the devil. Oh, the devil, he's fighting me. No, let me just tell you something. The sin that you're facing, the struggle, the temptation, the issues that you're facing, whether it be the strife in the marriage, whether it be that tendency to backbite and gossip, or whether it be something that even looks successful to the world and you continue to pursue things that give you title and position, but you know that it's just lust of the flesh or the pride of life because it lends itself to self-sufficiency. All of that, you can't can't blame the devil for that. That's inside of your nature. So if you're going to be an overcomer, you've got to be someone who demolishes arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And what do you have to do? Take captive. Somebody say, take captive. You've got to fight. I've got to fight. When I'm talking about killing the lion today, I know a lot of y'all thought that I was talking about that lion, the devil. But I'm talking about the wild beasts that live in the flesh, that everybody faces, that tomorrow morning on a Monday after a good service at Stello, you can't believe that that thought came through your mind. You can't believe. I, just, I was just in a Holy Ghost room right there. I was at a camp one time preaching down in Mississippi. Shout out to Knox, Knox Pater. And I love Mississippi. I love Jacob, you and your family. We're so glad you're here today. Thank you for being here. And we, that's a long camp though. Let's just be honest. Camp Knox is a long camp. They start on a Sunday night and end uh, what feels like three months later. And so I was preaching and I was, I was a lot younger than I am right now. And, and uh, I mean, I was preaching everything I had, Kenton, everything I had. I was taking sermons, and I was preaching them backwards. I was like, okay, well, maybe if I start in the ending, they won't know it's the same sermon. I gave every sermon I possibly had, and I was tired. It was 100 and some degrees, and I walked. It was about the, it was the second to last day, and a precious, precious lady that had been there all week, she said, Brother Devin, I just got to tell you, I think this is what heaven's going to be like. And I was sweet and kind. And that's exactly what I said in the back of my mind. I said, oh, God, I hope not. I love y'all. I'm thankful. I love church. I love going to church. But I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want to come here every day at 2 p.m. 
That's a lot of church. I don't need to be here every single day. I know there's some old school thought that says, well, you know, the, the, the later the day gets, the more we ought to gather. That's great, but let's do that in life groups. I, I don't, we don't have to put our jackets on. We don't have to set all this up. We can gather together in house to house, breaking bread. Why, why do I bring this point up? I bring this point up to tell you that you can't live in the church. That your, your answer is not more church. Your answer is not becoming anemic on altar calls. Your answer is not, and I've, listen, let me just preach for a second. I've seen people that say things like this, even at a, a church plant. Well, I just don't know if I can be fed there. That's, that's a lot of sacrifice to be at a church plant. You guys set up and tear down. I, I need a little bit more resource in my church. Let me just tell you what that says to me. That says to me that there's probably a little bit of spiritual anemia that is set in with you. And you think the church is this little shot in the arm that you get so that you can go out and fight the devil and fight the flesh. Let me tell you something. The battle doesn't even happen on Sunday. The battle happens on Monday. The battle happens in the wilderness. The battle happens when you're sitting in your living room on Monday evening or Saturday night and you've got to make a decision. Do I yield my members to the will of God or do I give in to the flesh? You know what you ought to do? You ought to fight the wild beast of your flesh and say, God, I'm not here for just another church experience. I'm here because I want to serve you. I want to be who you've called me to be. In fact, God, I'm going to get it right on a Saturday night so that I can go and be a servant on a Sunday. That's what it looks like to be spiritual. That's what it looks like to be spiritual. you got to fight your own wild beasts. I can't come kill it for you. In fact, can I just tell you, we see this illustrated over and over again in the Bible that before you can really take on the great things that God has for you, He wants to put you through testing times to where you can actually fight these things. We love David and Goliath. We all think we're David and Goliath, baby. I'm David, I'm going out there, I'm about to fight Goliath. But you know the story before David ever killed Goliath. He was in a field by himself, tending sheep without any pats on the back, without any reputation, without any anointing from a prophet or promise from God on his life. The youngest sibling forgotten about in the corner of a field. And what comes up but a bear and a lion. And David says, this battle is as important as any battle that I will ever fight. And he steps up and the Bible says that before he ever puts a stone in the forehead of a giant named Goliath, he is killing a bear and a lion. He is taking a sling and saying, I'm going to fight some private battles before I have some public victories. And in this room right now, I'm telling you, there's some wild beasts to be fought in the privacy of your home where you say, hey, I want my integrity be, to be intact. I want to be who God has called me to be behind closed doors before I stand up in a public sphere and begin to preach to others while I could become a castaway myself. God is saying to you, let's fight the wild beast. God is saying to you, I've put every tool in your hand that you would need to be able to win this battle. And can I just tell you, it is not just one time in your life. I've learned. I thought my 20s so if I can just get out of my 20s, I'm going to get married. And by the way, if you think marriage is going to fix lust, you is wrong. Dead wrong. Let me just speak to some man in this place. If you think pornography addiction goes away because now you are in the fulfillment and the satisfaction of a marriage that is now you're sexually active, that's wrong. 
You've, you've, you've failed to realize that there's a beast of your flesh that you have to make sure that you kill before that. There's example after example that I could illustrate of that right there where people have a fallacy. They think the next stage of life, I won't have to fight this. I'll be able, no, listen to me right now. In my 20s, it was, it was I, I really felt this in my 20s. It was a battle of the flesh. I had to make sure that I had accountability. I still make sure, by the way. Because look at David. David, it was years later in his life that he fell into adultery. And it was on, as a king that he forgot that he had to fight that battle. And we'll come back to him. But listen to me. Let me just tell you. In my 20s, I fought the battle of, of the flesh. And, and I made sure my life was accountable. And I had people in my life. And I submitted myself to a pastor. And I tried to open my life up as I could so I wouldn't make provision for the flesh. And as soon as you get that right and you think, man, I'm doing really well. I get to my 30s and a new milestone sets in. And all of a sudden, I'm facing cynicism. Because I didn't realize all the disappointment in my 20s was going to lead me to becoming a critical, cynical person in my 30s. And so now I'm fighting a whole different battle. I'm fighting a battle of bitterness. I'm fighting a battle of not being an angry man. Is this too real? I don't think it is. I think we all know what we're talking about. Is that no matter where you're at in your life, if you're in the wilderness, which we all will be, I can't wait for glory, by the way. When I get to heaven, I won't have to deal with all this stuff. But right now, I do. Right here on this side, I'm still in an earthen vessel in a wilderness. And isn't it funny? As soon as you get one milestone, you think, man, I think, I really, I think I'm really getting victory. Guess what? There's another wild beast that comes in. And I don't know what it's going to be in my 40s or my 50s or my 60s, but I know this. I better have a sling in one hand and a stone in the other because no matter where you're at, you're going to have to face some pain and some struggle and some fights. But the only, can I just speak right now, the only battle that you will lose is the one that you refuse to fight. I speak that in the name of Jesus over our church. The only battle that the Christian loses is the one that they don't realize is happening. Can I speak to some mom and dads right now? You want to tell, let me just speak to you and tell you the battle that you're going to lose with your children is the one that you don't even realize is happening in your own home. You know what that looks like? Somebody who hands their children unprotected devices. Someone who hands their children anything that they may desire without even realizing that they can scratch the surface of hell with that tablet or that phone or that television. You know what battle you're losing? The one you don't even realize is happening. And can I just say it like I feel it right now? God forbid that you actually do know that it's happening, but ignorance is bliss. We ought to stop for a moment and say, no, wait a second. I'm not going to wait for Pastor Devin or Kenton and Telena to be the answer for my teenagers or for my children. This is my house. This is my family. These are my sons. These are my daughters. Can I just speak to somebody? It's your mind. It's your heart. It's your life. You ought to stand up and say, no, I'm not going to let any wild beast, any lust of the flesh, any lust of the eye, any pride of life destroy me. If I feel cynicism setting in, I'm going to submit myself to the will of God and pray that a heart of gratitude would overtake me. I'm going to begin to count my blessings and say, no, Lord, you've been too good to me for me to be cynical or critical. You've been too good to me. And I feel the Holy Ghost in this room right now. Yeah, you got to go through the wilderness. 
That's right. And I preached it last week. You're going to come out on the other side anointed. Amen. But your anointing does not exclude you from fighting your flesh. Your anointing, the anointing and the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Saul was anointed with the same anointing that David was anointed with. And it took a lot, a lot of terrible things for Saul to finally feel like that anointing had left him. In fact, when David had a chance to kill Saul, that evil king, what did he do? He refused to. In fact, the Bible says that he just ripped the hem of Saul's garment while he was asleep and then showed it to Saul and gloated. And even that convicted David. Not because he had any respect for Saul, but because he respected the anointing that God had placed on Saul. Your anointing is without repentance. God will not take that. There's gifts and there's calling. But what you've got to fight for and what I've got to fight for is the integrity. Do you know that every time that priest would come in, in the Old Testament, if you looked at the exterior of that priest and he was responsible for walking into the Holy of Holies and, and truly represented the worship to God of the people. Oh, he was, he was up to the nines dressed in every cloth and material and everything. That, it was a beautiful thing, a beautiful thing to observe. But underneath it all, the Bible says there was an itchy, uncomfortable lining that would first be placed on that priest before he ever put on the holy garments. Because there needed to be something in him that reminded him of his broken flesh. There needed to be something that separated him from the beauty that reminded him, hey, as beautiful as this exterior might be, don't forget that underneath it all, there's just flesh. And can I just tell you, I love the music. I love the singing. You all are so talented. I love the giftings and the call that are upon so many. And I'm telling you, yes, you're, some of you are going through wilderness, and you're going to come out on the other side, and we're going to get to see the opposite. We're going to observe that anointing that God has placed on you in ways ways that we have not yet seen, and I'm so excited about it, but no matter how great that anointing may shine for the glory of God, never forget that underneath it all, there is flesh, there is brokenness, and you and I have to do the same thing. We have to submit ourselves every day to the will of God and say, God, it is not me, it is you. You are good. You are holy. You are righteous. Every gift that I have is merely to reflect your glory and your righteousness and your goodness. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost in this room right now. So you ought to kill some lions. If you're facing some wild beasts in this room right now, there's some things behind closed doors that are breaking you. If your marriage is unraveling, if you're feeling bitterness setting in, I could go on and on and on. You ought to look at those wild things and say, Lord, if I don't, if I don't pay attention... This will kill me. What starts out as a small unforgiveness will turn into bitterness. And bitterness will set in and it will destroy you. I don't know what you're facing, but I know that Devin Akers has to look in the mirror every day and say, Hey, I'm just flesh. I'm broken. I've got to be honest. I've got to be real. And I hope that everybody in this room would do the same thing. Because I'm telling you, it is the will of God that you kill the lion in your life, whatever it might be or whatever they might be. A few years ago... Back in 2015, anybody remember uh, a beloved lion named Cecil? And I know some of you will say, it's Cecil, fight me. 
It's Cecil. At least that's how they were pronouncing it. What happened is an American dentist went on a safari trip in 2015. And in 2015, he, he took the trip of a lifetime, went out, and he began uh, to, to hunt, to hunt lions. I mean, that's why he was there. And so as he went out in 2015, he, he did what anybody would do is, is he, he shot a lion and killed it. Well, little did he know and those that he was on safari with, but he didn't just shoot any lion. He shot Cecil the lion. And apparently Cecil the lion was a beloved lion that had a tracking device on him that many people had been observing and watching him, and he was a part of some sort of preservation. Well, this was such a horrendous and egregious act, apparently, that this American dentist was getting death threats. He had to move away from his home. Jimmy Kimmel. Yes, I said it. The late night talk show host who, we'll, I'm not even going to go there, brought this up in his monologue and was saying basically how sad it was that Cecil was dead and how demonized this dentist should be for his egregious act. Well, in the midst of all this over at Wake Forest University in Winston-Salem sat in a, a Zimbabwean journalist student, and he wrote an opinion piece that ended up being published in the New York Times. I'll read you just the first couple of paragraphs. He says this, my mind was absorbed by the biochemistry, I lied, he's not a journalist student, because I don't know any journalist student that would be reading biochemistry. He said, my mind was absorbed by the biochemistry of gene editing when the text message and Facebook posts started to distract me. So sorry. About Cecil. Did Cecil live near your, your place in Zimbabwe? Cecil who? I wondered. When I turned on the news and discovered that the messages were all about a lion killed by an American dentist, the village boy inside of me instinctively cheered. One lion fewer to menace families like mine. The article goes on. And this Zimbabwean student, now living in North Carolina, he said in his day when he was growing up, he remembers the people of his village being tormented by the presence of lions as they would stalk. In fact, he remembers even losing a friend in a lion attack. At the very end of his article, he had a poignant statement that said this, In Zimbabwe, we don't cry over dead lions. You see what the American culture said. Oh, it's just a cute lion. I can't believe you killed Cecil. How could you do that? Someone that's actually lived in the presence and the torment of a lion said, good. One less thing for us to have to worry about. And isn't it amazing that spiritually speaking, if we're not careful, we will make pets out of things that if you've ever actually been tormented by, people will tell you, you need to get rid of that. 
It's not just a little show. It's not just a little series. It's not just a little thing. You let that thing grow up and it will torment you. Can I just tell you, in our church, we don't cry over dead lions. We don't cry over dead addictions. We don't cry over people that have put their past behind them. We don't make light of the testimonies of those people that have walked out of darkness and brokenness into the marvelous light of God. Can I just tell you, we're not here to play games with sin. We're not here to play games in our homes. No, we say one less one less lion, we celebrate. We're glad. We're glad you've overcome that thing. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost in this room right now. We need to kill everything in our lives that might cause us destruction. Don't make a pet out of sin and shame. I think about David as he stood over that balcony. He looked down at Bathsheba. A man that had now forgotten the pain of living in the wilderness on the run from an evil king named Saul. The Bible says when it was time for kings to go out to battle, David decided they can do it without me. I'm tired of fighting. You know, sometimes we let things in our lives set in because we get tired. I fought so long. I've given so much. You don't understand, Pastor Devin, you're young, you're in your 30s. For decades we gave and we gave. We just need a break. We need to just, we need to just sit and enjoy what we've earned with hard work, with lots of spiritual investment. Hear me right now. I speak to a generation above my own, and I ask you, please don't put the sword. Please don't stop fighting. Your children need you. Your grandchildren need you. This church needs you. We need you to be in the battle. We don't need you to perch up on a balcony and say, man, I lived in the wilderness. I had to fight. I've been there. I've done that. You guys fight. No, no, no. Listen, it may look a little bit different, my fight, than your fight. But we need everybody in this place right now fighting. And, oh, God, if you've got a family, would you please look at this church, this, this church plant? Don't look at this church and say, well, I, I don't know. We, we've got a few more years. Maybe maybe if we came to Stello five years from now and a few more things were established, we it would be the right fit. No, listen to me. I'm asking you, would you pick up a sword and would you say, hey, there's a vision to reach North Raleigh. There's a vision to plant more churches. And you know what? I, I may have fought some battles, but I ain't finished yet. There's still some lions to be killed. There's still some battles to be fought. Can I just speak in the name of Jesus over somebody in this room? Yes, you may have fought some battles yesterday, but there's still some some victories in front of you to be had. God's not finished with you. He's not finished with your ministry. He's not finished with your anointing. He's got things for you to do. He's got victories for you to have. There are things that you have still yet to accomplish and you ought to stand up and say, I'm not going to let any lion take me out. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost. Man, this is what I feel in my spirit. Yes, you may have fought Goliath, but can I just tell you, here's the truth. Goliath had some brothers. And David said, I'm not good and it's not good enough to just fight one giant. I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna be a giant killer. I'm gonna slay any giant, any lion that I can slay. Can I just tell you, it doesn't matter what your age is, it doesn't matter what your Pentecostal pedigree is. If God has called you to fight, all you gotta do is pick up the sword and say, Hey, this is my battle, this is my time, this is my church, this is my family, and I'm I'm not finished yet. 
Man, I feel the Holy Ghost in this room right now. I'm finishing today. Musicians, you can make your way. In fact, would you stand with me all over this room? I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight. I'm going to kill the lion. Listen to me. I'm not trying to create a sob story or invoke some sort of emotion in this room for the sake of emotion. But listen to me. I could tell you story after story of people that walked out of addiction and walked out of brokenness and walked out of a life that was just ridden with all types of sin and shame. Got in church for a decade or so. And then after a few years of getting themselves established, something in them set in that caused them to become a little bit lax. It wasn't the devil The devil didn't do it. There was no moment that you could point and say it must have been that. No, it was just an attitude. It was the pride of life. There was something in the flesh that they began to enjoy enough. And they thought that they had fought enough battles to earn a little bit of a break. And then what happened is the unthinkable. And that is they lost a marriage or they lost a a child to the world. And then they're left in shambles wondering what happened. You know what happened? There was a lack of vigilance. They forgot. That in the midst of this world, you can't afford to take a break. The spiritual battle happens every single day of our lives. And yes, I realize that this in many ways is a sobering message today. I'm asking you and me to wake up. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying wake up to the battle that's in front of you. But I'm also not just giving you something that should sober a little bit and cause you to think a little bit. But I'm also telling you something that ought to excite you. Which is if you'll wake up and if you'll fight, guess what? You will have victory. Your children and your family will be saved. Your ministry will be restored. I speak that in the name of Jesus in this room right now. There is victory for each and every one of us. I I read a story a few years ago, and I'm I'm finishing. But the the famous climber, Charlotte Fox, in her home in Asheville, at 61 years of age, this is a woman who had climbed just about, praise God, somebody scared me a little bit to death right there. I thought we were about to get a wild beast right there, a lion. Okay, everybody all right? Good. I'm about to tell the worst story, too. I'm I'm just going to be honest with you guys. This is not a laughing story, so forgive the irony of that happening right there. But the, I almost said the Bible said. Somebody pray for me right now. Amen, Brother Anthony. I appreciate you. By the way, doesn't my man look good today in his suit and his tie back there? Don't you love Anthony and Crystal? He texted me this week. He said, Pastor, he texted me and Kevin, put us in a group. He's doing all sorts of research right now for Celebrate Recovery. How long have you been clean? Almost four years, somebody. <laughs> Baptized in Jesus' name just a couple of weeks ago. You're going to help people. You're going to help people. You're going to help people. Thank you, Jesus. Rob, you're going to help people. You're going to help people. George, I know you're back there, but you're going to help people. I see it all in this room right now. You've been through stuff. You've faced, you've faced the lion. You've, you've faced pain. But you're going to help people. Charlotte Fox was walking in her home in Asheville, 61 years of age. The same woman that had climbed the most infamous mountains and peaks all across the world. She took a tumble on a set of stairs in her own home, which claimed her life. 
they put this out, they, in each article, they talked about the irony that you could climb such great heights, but then trip in your own home over a 10-foot set of stairs. Isn't it amazing to think that you and I, we could fight such great battles. We could start churches together. We could see great revivals. But if we don't take care of our own footsteps in our own homes, behind closed doors, we could end up being those things that claim our lives. Can I just tell you, I'm encouraging someone in this room right now. Yes, you've got victory. Yes, Anthony, you're going to help people. Crystal, y'all are going to help people. But can I just tell you, you got to make sure that behind closed doors things are okay too. And you know how you you know how you do that? You open up a closed door. You let somebody in. I sat with this man right here yesterday. He said, Pastor, I just need some counsel. We're about to make some big steps in this place. Can I tell you, we can't wait for that baby to get here. Amen, somebody? I can't wait. I can't wait. And I'm telling you, you better bring that baby the next week, and we're going to kiss and hug. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. God's got promise for families like this, young families just like this. And you know what? Braden, you could make decisions on your own. You don't have to, you don't have to ask me or anybody else for any counsel. That's your right. I'm not going to force you. But you know what you did? You open up a door. You say, Pastor, I need to sit with you. Because if I don't get some counsel here, I might make some decisions. And this is what you were talking about. That only gratify my desire, but not the will of God. So we begin to talk. Every single person I could point, we could talk about different times that we've sat together. Because you open up a door, and what was behind the closed door is now in the open. And you put some accountability on it and some light on it. And today, you know what you're doing? You're killing any wild beast. You're killing any provision that you might be making for the flesh. And you're saying, no, I'm not going to make provision for the flesh. I'm, I'm going to open up my life as a book. I'm going to bring some accountability into this thing. Because yes, I know the devil's real, but I also know that my flesh is very real. And I know that there's an anointing on my life. And I don't want to give that anointing or that call or that future up for any little thing. I'm going to make sure that I am who God has called me to be. And this is what I feel in this room right now. I I wonder if you could just lift your hands and I'm going to just pray over us before we even step to this altar. God, in this room, there are people, there are young men and young women, families, parents, soon-to-be married couples, God, that have promise on their lives. But Lord, I also know that we are facing wild beasts. Yes, we face the enemy, but also, God, we've got to be real about our own flesh. I declare, God, in this place, there's going to be integrity, there's going to be character, there's going to be a church that has life that is brought through an openness and realness. I speak in the name of Jesus over every young person, over every individual, God, over every generation, God, that in the name of Jesus, we're going to face the things, the battles, the struggles with a reality check that says, Lord, if we don't give ourselves to accountability, then we're going to miss it. But in this room, we speak victory, we speak life, and we speak integrity. In the name of Jesus, we pray that. And if you believe that God is going to respond to that prayer, would you put your hands together? I feel the Holy Ghost.